Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. Uh, my name is Fisher. Today, uh, I've got Eamon with me. You want to introduce yourself today, Eamon? Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on, Fisher. My name is Eamon Nguyenet. I am a fourth-year cultural anthropology major here at Colorado State University. Right on. Well, welcome to the podcast, man. Glad to have you. First question I want to start off with, why should the government listen to its people? You know what's funny? Why does that question even need to be asked in the first place? <laughs> I ask myself this every day, and uh, while I was developing this podcast, it just... It was so frustrating to have to think about this. Yeah, so why should the government listen to their people? Democratic governments and democratic republics are made for the purpose for the people. You know, it's not run by a single individual. It's run by the people and for the people. People who are, you know, knowledgeable or experts in their fields should have a say in how things are conducted. You know, it doesn't make sense for the government to take hold and take, like, control of the wheel when they may not have any clue on how to control the wheel or, like, where to go in the first place. So it is extremely frustrating. Why have democratic republics if you're not going to listen to the people? That's mm -hmm. what I ask myself. Why? Wow. So the first example I'd like to bring up is from a book. And this book is called Silent Spring. And it is written by Rachel Carson. And it is a very insightful book written about pesticides in America and why it is such a toxic culture and such insustainable way of dealing with pests and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So I'd like to bring up one point in the book that she made. She she brought up an instance in Michigan in 1959. There was an infestation of a Japanese beetle in the area, and the United States government went ahead and sprayed roughly 27,000 acres, mm. right? Wow. And before they even started spraying, there was already public outcry. They're like, people of Michigan in the city, I can't remember, they were just voicing their opinions. Why do we need to spraying? Why? It's, it's going to damage the environment. It's going to damage our homes, and like, it's just going to make life so much more difficult for us here. Mm. But the government just w went ahead on and did it anyway. But as a result of the went on spraying, bird populations got wiped out. People started becoming sick. You know, dozens of houses. There was a layer of chemicals on top of people's roofs. And people have voiced their opinion saying that th before the spraying even started, they're like, why do we need to spraying? Hmm. But the government just completely brushed aside all concerns. In the following year, in 1960, the government went ahead and threw $375,000 to chemical pest control research. Hmm. Which, if you do the math and bring it up after inflation today, it is near $3.3 million wow. into pest control research. Wow. And that number surprised me. It, it, the number legitimately blew me away. Like, my jaw dropped when I saw $3.3 million. But why my jaw dropped, I'll get into next. The government only funds roughly about $6,000 into actual biological, ecological research wow. in 1960. That number today is $52,000. It is, it, is it is excruciatingly painful to see the lack of funding in these sustainable programs. Yeah. Why? Because these scientists have spent years, years studying the ecological foundation of you know, this area. And they know what happens you know, when a species is removed or completely like, extinct. Mm -hmm. and, what ha and how that plays into like, the repercussions of other pests and other environments and stuff. And it's just, it's just a complete mess. Completely removing one species from an environment is detrimental. Yeah. To not only the environment, but the other animals and other species that rely on that pest itself, whether in good or bad ways. Mm. Yeah. But the government just went ahead and did it anyway. Mm. And it's, it's, it's extremely frustrating because we see this not only in cases of like pesticide, but like just recently, you know, in the COVID-19 pandemic. Right. You know, President Trump for the first couple months refused to acknowledge that there was any sort of problem. And until he had his, you know, pressure points pushed, then did he acknowledged Dr. Fauci, and then brought in doctors to actually start speaking to the public. But at that point, it was already too late. 
when was it? It was uh, it was like May or June when Dr. Fauci took yeah. his position. Yeah, it is extremely infuriating to see this, mm. and we see this not only with pandemics and pesticides. We see this with climate change, mm. and it's it's so it's so frustrating to see this, man. And like I'm just I'm just trying to like hold it back, but like people who know what they're talking about are not getting listened to. Yeah. Wow. I want to bring up another book, Mountains Beyond Mountains. It's a book written about anthropologists, same government as the United States, or a very similar government to the United States. It's a presidential republic or a democratic republic, whichever you choose to, to pick. Okay. Now, Peru at this time had a rampant drug-resistant tuberculosis pandemic kind of sweeping the country. Now, what I mean by drug-resistant tuberculosis is essentially, I'll give you an analogy. So you have patient A and then you have patient B. Both patients have the same strain of tuberculosis, right? They both have the same doctor. They both got prescribed the same medication, right? And the same duration as well. So they were supposed to take this medication every day for one month, mm -hmm. okay? Patient A took the drug that the doctor prescribed him, okay? He took one pill every day for a month. And at that point, the, the tuberculosis strain with inside him, and at that point, the tuberculosis within him got treated. So when patient A took all the prescriptions that he needed to take and followed what the doctor told him, the tuberculosis wasn't as rampant with inside him and it was treated, right? But patient B, okay, patient B only only took his prescriptions for about two weeks. Hmm. And then because he, he justified that by saying, oh, I'm, I'm starting to feel a lot better. You know, I'm feeling a lot better. I'm not coughing. I'm not feeling ill. I don't need to take the rest of my prescription anyway. I'm done. I'm just going to throw it out or keep it to the side or whatever. Yeah. But the tuberculosis within him is still there. Hmm. And that tuberculosis that survived just grew more inside of him. And then, you know, whenever you're coughing and spitting and talking or whatever, then it's becoming, it's, it's transmitting to other people. This strand of tuberculosis is interesting because it withstood the drug that the doctor prescribed him because he didn't take the full prescription and didn't do what he needed to do. This tuberculosis strain is now resistant to drugs mm -hmm. and the previous drugs that it took because it evolved to survive that drug. Yeah. Now, while Peru was dealing with this whole thing, Dr. Farmer saw that this was just a rampant epidemic inside of Peru. So he decided to do something about it. He went and found um, tuberculosis drugs for cheap from uh, this other you know, third-party company. And then he came to Peru. And he started treating Peruvian citizens. But here's the interesting thought. The Peruvian government walked up to this doctor mm. who is trying to help their people mm. due to the lack of health care and just funding yeah. for this program in Peru. They told him that he had no legal right to practice there and they asked him to leave and he's no longer welcome back. Hmm. And when I read this, like my jaw dropped. He, this man is trying to help your people when you cannot hmm. listen to him and have him explain to you what the whole situation is instead of just closing the door in his face when he's trying to help your people, the Peruvian people. Right, right. It is insanely infuriating. And at the end of the day, it just seems like egos. It's a battle of egos. And yeah. I know more, so don't tell me what I can and cannot mm. think or do or whatever. And then one more instance I would like to bring up is indigenous communities. So within indigenous communities, there is this concept of traditional ecological knowledge. Okay, This concept brings indigenous people together with nature and they help cultivate this relationship mm. together, correct? Yeah. But what is interesting is that indigenous people, you know, they've lived in what we call the United States for centuries, for centuries. They know this land better than we do. Mm. Now, the traditions that they use to take care of the land involve this idea of controlled burning. Now, controlled burning is something that they use to keep the forest tame, you know, take care of the forest, make sure it didn't get too overgrown and too dangerous. So they took care of it. They burned specific parts of the forest, but then still controlled it so that it didn't turn into a wildfire. 
Now, recently in the United States, at least as far as I can remember, you know, I'm only 21 years old, but ever since I was a kid, I remember hearing on the news about, you know, California wildfires. And just recently, in like the last couple months, we've had enormous, enormous wildfires, not only in Colorado, but in like in California as well and other parts of the country. Mm. And just recently, the United States has reached out to indigenous people for their help in maintaining wildfires. Because at this point, the United States just didn't care. Mm. They left forests to become overgrown, and they just didn't take care of it. And even Donald Trump went on and said that they need to start cleaning the forests. What, is that, what does that even mean? <laughs> what does that even mean to you, Fisher, cleaning the forests? I, I imagine somebody with a mop and a bucket full of soapy water cleaning the trees in the forest. Ground. I guess so. I guess so, right? <laughs> but it's, 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 it's ideas like this. You, know, you think you know something when you don't, when you don't actually. You know, why not ask the people who know what they're doing? Yeah. The government has started reaching out to indigenous people to ask, you know, how to take care of national parks. Mm. Finally, finally, after all this time. Mm. And it is, it's, it's honestly so sad to see our government not listen to the people that are in charge. And not only our government, but the people within the country itself. But that's, that's a discussion for a different day. Yeah, yeah. So it, it seems like money and ego and ignorance are all some major factors that lead governments or these governing bodies to ignore the experts is there any other ideas or, or broad things that you can think of that might lead the government to not listen to the people not listen to the experts yeah of course fisher the government can throw legislation and money and funding all they want you know all the live long day at problems but it's not going to fix it unless we just listen yeah and that's the answer to your question What can the government do to help solve these problems? It's just listen. Mm. It's just so plain and simple. Listen to the people who know what they're talking about. Yeah. You know, not only the scientists, not only the indigenous people, but just everybody. Mm. You know, experts in these fields. You know, you can't just throw money at it and expect everything to go away. Yeah. You know, throwing funding at these unsustainable programs when there are clearly sustainable ways to take care of problems that are not detrimental to not only ourselves. Yeah but the ecology of a certain area, the species of a certain area, and just the overall country. It is infuriating to have to have these conversations after so long and after so many issues. Finally, finally, you know, governments are starting to listen to their experts after so long and, frankly, to be honest, a bit too late. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Well, thanks so much for uh, sharing all this, Eamon. Some pretty inspiring stuff. Anything else that you would leave your listeners uh, with an action step, with an idea of, of what they might do today to help uh, combat this issue? Yeah, of course. And it just comes back to that main idea. Just listen. Just yeah. keep your ears open and keep your eyes open. And just you know, understand that you know problems need to be solved with the proper people taking care of them. And I know that sounds very like narrow and like mm. whatever, but it, it's it's true. Yeah. Like who would you trust to, you know, fix your toilet? It's like a plumber. You know, you wouldn't call your mailman to come fix your toilet, (laughs) right? Uh, You call people in charge. And I think that's what, you know, we should do as a people. And we should, you know, like not force, but as a people, we should strongly encourage and urge our government to listen to these people. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Eamon. Appreciate your time and have a great day, everyone. Yep. Thank you.